Hello, Chirocasters. I have another word for you that describes my sponsors, and that's pediatric. And you may wonder where pediatric uh, fits in with my sponsors, but you know now you know, and PCD and Chirite all support our pediatric mission, right? My mission is to adjust as many children as I possibly can, like take care of the world, one child, one spine at a time, and they help support that mission. And now, here's the podcast. Good morning. Great to be here. All right, Dr. Ruben will be speaking at the Pediatric Summit in just almost, just over a month. Yeah. Um, well, from when I'm making this video. Um, <laughs> so we're very excited. He has a lot to share. He's one of my professors and one of my favorite professors, not to be biased or anything, <laughs> but um, he has so much knowledge to share. So let's get started. Um, today, we're going to be talking about how, um, what's wrong with our brains, and maybe even a little more specifically, like pediatric concussions. So if you could give, like, even just an overview, Dr. Rubin, of where you're coming from with that, I guess, or like an intro to your talk at the summit. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I've been doing this now for almost 30 years, <clears throat> and um, first of all, I love the ICPA. I love that you guys are doing this webcast stuff. I think it's the coolest thing ever to be able to, like, promote this stuff in the ways that we're doing it, and I appreciate the extra effort that you're, you know, you guys are putting into, you know, to put this together. Um, and what's exciting to me is, is the, as I have evolved in chiropractic over the 30 years, you know, functional neurology and the, the study of the brain was just not even happening when I was in school back in the 80s. And I've watched things change because things have had to change, right? That's the interesting thing is, you know, the chiropractic perspective for many, many years was we are back fixer-uppers, right? And which is great, uh, you know, and we're very good at it, but we're not the only game in town for back fixer-uppering. Um, so we, we, we kind of realized, <clears throat> excuse me, that our focus um, really isn't just the brain, and you've heard me say this a zillion times, but I, I can't help but make sure everybody knows this, is that, you know, we're not back doctors, we're, we're nerve system doctors. Um, and the reason that that has evolved is because what we do is so much more important on the nerve system than it is on a bone, you know? Like, like a bone setter, right, from back in the 1700s, they're working on a bone to set the bone, right? That was their whole goal is to get the bone that was, you know, broken and set it straight like this. We're not bone setters, right? Like the, the, the adjustment affects the nerve system either directly or indirectly. And there is research to prove this. It's not just stuff that we're making up anymore. Um, you know, it, it, when Dee Dee Palmer and BJ were talking about this a century ago, they were postulating, right? They were theorizing. There is no more theory anymore. It is clear that what chiropractic does is affect the spine and the nerve system and the brain. And we really have to ask the question, we're looking at our kids today with the rise in autism and the rise in in ADHD and the rise and all these other crazy things and even the rise in stuff like you know I, I've been reading a lot about Alzheimer's and and Parkinson's and stuff what's wrong with our brains is really the ultimate question and I really feel like chiropractic has you know a, a significant play a significant solution in this question very cool I think that as students and as chiropractors ourselves it's obvious that chiropractic is shifting more to a neuro neurological, functional neurological perspective. How would you say, or what would you say is the biggest factor in 
helping to get that more widely recognized or known that you can go to a chiropractor to help with neurological issues, not just back pain, neck pain, setting bones. Well, I think it's, it's you know, we have done, a, a, as chiropractic profession, we have done a very poor job in educating the public um, in that what we do is, is back pain. I remember when I was uh, first in practice, uh, I had the, there was, remember the telephone books? I know it's almost archaic now, but I, I had the, the yellow pages. People come to me and they say, well, you should do an ad that says, you know, this seven danger signals and have this electric shock pointing into your back and stuff. And that's what everybody knew us about. And, but it's been over time, we've had a lot of chiropractors uh, get involved with the functional neurological, you know, uh, aspects of things and just start putting it out there. So now it is not an unknown thing for a patient, like, you know, on Friday calling us up and saying, I have a kid who just got diagnosed with autism and, and I heard that chiropractic can help that, right? Whereas b before that would have been like word of mouth, whatever. Now people are reading this on Google. They're like, I, I found you on Google. You know, I Googled, you know, autism alternative treatments and there you are, right? So, so that, I think it's really been the, um, the advent of, of the web and internet and social media that has really changed the face of chiropractic. Um, but I, I still think that most people think chiropractic is about back pain and neck pain and stuff um, because we, it's, we've kind of indoctrinated that into them. But I think we have so much more to offer and it's because of what we can do on social media and with our websites and Facebook and all that kind of stuff, I think that's changing it. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting because I think the conversation has changed. Uh, it used to be like, I don't understand how chiropractic can help this, but someone told me I should come here to, like, I've done my research. Like, people are coming in with reams of paper saying, you know, look at all the stuff that I've already looked up at to, that says that, that this is going to be helpful. So people are super well-educated, you know, coming into this. That's the first thing. But I think the, sec the conversation looks like, you know, my job as a chiropractor is to reconnect the brain and the spine and the nerve system in the body. And everything that that child does is connected to this. So, for instance, with concussions, one of the biggest things we're seeing, an interesting um, correlation, is that a child with a, a relatively mild post-concussion syndrome situation actually looks like someone who's got mild autism. So it is not unusual to see the, the symptomatology, like it, and this, this came up a couple of years ago when in one day I had a child with post-concussion syndrome and in the morning and the afternoon, a child with autism. And at, if nobody told me their history, I wouldn't have known because both of them had some funny kind of behavioral things. And both of them had some physical, you know, uh, twitches and tremors and OCD-like tendencies. And both of them were socially uncomfortable and both of them were emotionally liable. So, so they have this, it looks the same. Uh, and, but that's the interesting thing because if, if you think about it, we're not working, I'm not taking care of autism, I'm not taking care of post-concussion, I'm taking care of subluxation and the brain and the nerve system. So if there's, in, the, the thing that, that I'm kind of postulating in my talk 
at the summit and and um, also for fall CE is that the when the brain is injured, it doesn't make a difference whether the injury was a force that hit the head or hit the body that caused a issue, or it was a chemical or emotional force that affected the child's brain, there is still a injury to the brain, right? So just like talk about the, the three T's from D.D. Palmer, you know, traumas, thoughts, and toxins. So, uh, so when we have those th- any of those three T's, it can cause a brain injury. It's not limited to like, so the idea of concussion isn't necessarily limited to someone who is concussed physically, right? You can have concussive forces because the chemistry in the brain didn't jive with the chemistry in the body because of something they ate or something that they were exposed to, etc. You know, the or a, a psychological concussion. I'm I'm really feeling that concussion is is limited. It shouldn't be limited to a physical thing. Gotcha. Would you say that? Uh, so I know you see a lot of children with autism or on the autism spectrum in your office. Would you say that they respond to similar? kinds of care, or would you say that kids with post-concussive syndrome respond to similar kinds of care? Because I know you do more light touch, um, non-invasive, maybe some network with the kids who have sensory issues. Is that similar? Yes, uh, it, it, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because the a child with concussion has to be treated like a child who is on the spectrum in terms of their adjustments. We can't, even though um, we would love to just go in there and you know, get that atlas set. Um, sometimes we have to be a bit more judicious, uh, and because if you had, a, let's say, a physical concussion, if you had a physical concussion, so there was a blow to the head because of, of a sports injury or a blow to the body that created the head to whip over and the brain had impact. Um, you have to know that the cervical spine was affected, right? You can't. Have, you can't have something hit this without this being affected. It's not even possible remotely. So when you combine understanding that, you, you understand that, that, that there was a significant injury, especially to the upper cervical spine. So some kids, it is just not the right uh, time right after that concussion or during the early stages of post-concussion syndrome to just go in and do a normal osseous adjustment. Some kids will not tolerate that very well. And that like you said, is the same thing I see on, with kids on the spectrum. That some kids on the spectrum just do not tolerate that sort of approach and they need to have, you have to kind of get, go in very gently. Sometimes not even uh, addressing their cervical subluxations directly. Sometimes you need to address like uh, something in the upper extremities to sort of get that system relaxed. Sometimes we'll address the cranium to make sure the vagus nerve is chill because you know that's another big thing I love is that holy polyvagal theory. So we, we have to really think about the neurology, right? And I think a lot of chiropractors are just so anxious to jump on the, the neck that we forget that there's a whole neurology that we really have to be cognizant of before we start doing what we think is best, you know, for the patient. Like I might think I need to smash that atlas, boom, but that may not be the appropriate thing for that child and it's based on his or her presenting symptoms. Gotcha. Would you say that <clears throat> the developmental behaviors in a post-concussive child have the same prognosis as a child who has already developed autism? That's a, um, that's a great okay. question. Uh, th- challenging answer. Um, uh, 
there are multiple different kinds of concussion. Um, you know, there's the, the more physical based concussion sy uh, symptoms like cervical, you know, pain or migraines. There's more cognitive or fatigue um, or anxiety mood based kind of concussions. There's more eye based concussions. Um, so I think it's the same thing with, with kids with autism. And it's not just mild, moderate and severe autism, although that's the DSM classification. The, what we see with kids with autism is, is some kids, like there's a, a, one of my favorite sayings from Autism Speaks is, when you meet one kid with autism, you meet one kid with autism. Because just because someone has mild autism, some kids, you would never even know it until they actually were doing like their homework or reading. Other kids, like you can tell right away that they have autism by their you know, unusual behaviors and stuff. So uh, every kid is going to be different. So their prognosis is always like going to be different based upon the severity of their symptoms. You know, certain concussions have, are going to take a hell of a lot longer to work with. So if you have a solely cervical based concussion, it probably will have less, take less time than someone who has a, an ocular concussion, you know, or a, a cognitive concussion. And you also have to look at, you know, some of the background, you know, things that happened beforehand too. Did they have any eye issues beforehand? Did they have any cognitive issues beforehand? And the, all these things factor in, you know, just like with the, the child with autism. So there's, you know, there's no cookie cutter way to do this for sure. Gotcha. I know the research is still kind of out there being developed. Um, I know that you do strictly chiropractic in your office, but is there different approaches to treat different types of concussions? And you refer to different um, therapists based on the type of concussion that um, the child experienced. Absolutely. So, um, well, we we do chiropractic, but I do some nutritional, you know, stuff and functional neurological exercises. So we do three kind of things in the, in the office. But uh, if a child needs, um, for instance, we had a, a child a couple weeks ago who had a, in, within post-concussion syndrome, and I sent him to a vision therapist because his eyes were just not really improving. Uh, so, uh, you know, to, to go to a, like a behavioral optometrist, you know, kind of thing. Um, we had another uh, young lady who was in a concussion. Um, and interesting about her, I mean, she, here was a, a strong mom of three, super talented, super smart. And this concussion just totally shifted her personality, which is a common, you know, thing. Um, and, you know, there's just so much that, that we as a chiropractor could do. So we sent her to a, you know, a a concussion specialist uh, downtown uh, to get them to you know work on the things that we can't work on you know we don't have an hour to spend with like occupational therapists and physical therapists and all these other you know, vestibular therapists all these other things um, you know so, so that I we, we you have to and this goes with any patient you have to recognize the limitations of well I can do amazing things working with the brain to get the brain and the nerve system centered but if there was such a force within that body that the child needs other, or the adult needs other interventions, then let's not be so small-minded to think that we shouldn't refer to other, you know, doctors, other therapists, etc. And this creates a great relationship with the outside community also because it shows that you know you're not the you're not the one and only, right? You you recognize that there are limitations and that you have to work within those limitations. Right, and I'm sure that only gets your name out there more as a neurologically based chiropractor as far as getting 
referrals back in rather than just everybody coming in for their musculoskeletal complaints. Yes, and but interestingly enough, and I and Dr. Sigafus talked about this years ago. Um, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, uh, like professionals, health professionals, who still call chiropractors quacks. We I would call the quack last week um, by a pediatrician, which is stunning to me. Uh, like in 2018, like okay, 1989, I get it. All right, makes sense. The Wilk case, if you remember, studying about the Wilk case was just coming out back then. All right. It, if someone wants to still do that, that's fine. But t- 2018, you know, like that to me is so like, you know, ethnocentric. In other words, like so self-serving to think that, well, I'm the only person who that child needs to see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It, well, if you have a concussion, if you have autism, if you have ADHD, you need a team approach. And there's nothing wrong with that. And as long as you know, like if someone says, I don't want him to go or that patient to go to that chiropractor because I feel like that chiropractor isn't well-trained, very different than saying, well, chiropractors are all quacks, right? So I would rather someone approach us and say, what kind of training do you have in this? You know, and then I could say, you know, well, I'm a diplomat in pediatrics and I've been doing this for 30 years. And, you know, so I can kind of give someone a lot of background that makes someone say, okay, maybe you have some insight that someone who has not taken time out to study all this extra stuff may not. So it, it's fascinating what, what goes on out there. But chiropractic is just so amazing that it does, like what Sigfus used to say was, um, if someone isn't like getting mad at you or putting you down, you're not doing it right. So you, you, want, you, know, you, you want to make waves and it's good to make waves in the community. So when someone calls me a quack, I get I, high five, awesome. Like, like bring it on, another person that I could talk to. Exactly. Uh, well, it's been great talking. Do you have any last thoughts or advice or tips for any students or chiropractors out there? <clears throat> yeah, I think that my biggest bit of advice that I love giving students is that you constantly have to keep on learning. Um, and books aren't necessarily the place to learn. It's really the articles. Like here's an amazing article um, that I just came up, I found recently. Alzheimer's can have its roots in infection-triggered autoimmunity. So they're, they're talking now about Alzheimer's and infection. And if you go on to read this, they also talk about autism and how autism may be related to infections as well. And you, don't, you wouldn't get this at a reading a book. Not that you shouldn't read books, because um, uh, books are great. Uh, but uh, but we, as, a, as, especially as pediatric chiropractors, and I'm sure people who watch this are more pediatrically bent. Um, as a pediatric chiropractor, you've got to understand that this is cutting edge stuff. And the only way you get any kind of stuff is to constantly be looking at the research and looking at peer-reviewed things and looking in, have, getting on listservs that send you articles and stuff. And to me, that's the most important thing is keeping up with where chiropractic is going and not kind of just doing what you've always done because you've always done it, but always keeping ahead of the game and stepping up so that you know patients are always saying, oh, there's a new thing you're doing, another thing you're adding it because they love that kind of stuff and and it keeps your brain strong too so it's good for everybody good well i think that's very respectable dr Rubin. coming from someone that i've witnessed myself always scribbling notes in every talk <laughs> seminar assembly anything we have and now it makes a lot of sense that last assignment you gave us in our class to look up articles it's all <laughs> together now yep yep <laughs> but it was great talking to you thank you so much thank dr. you Ali. we look forward to seeing you Thank you, Allie. Have a great day. See you there.
That was fun. Cool, that was really good. High five, Allie. <laughs> How awesome. so glad. Did you feel like you said everything you wanted? Or? Yeah, I think, you know, well, it, it was...